Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we're talking to Kit Ingui, who I actually met in 2008. She's probably one of the first people I met when I moved to New York. Uh, I got hired to do Equus on Broadway as a PA, and she was the assistant company manager with Elizabeth McCann and Joey Parnes, who are our managers of the show. Um, she's in, had a great career as a company manager, has worked on a number of shows. And in January of 2017, she started at the Long Wharf Theater as the Associate Managing Director. And then in September, I believe, 2019, she moved up to the Managing Director of Long Wharf Theater. So it's been a really awesome career. I think we've never had a managing director. So I'm really excited to have Kit on and the fact that I've known her for like 12 years, pretty much since I moved, first moved to New York is really wonderful. So welcome to our podcast, Kit. I'm super excited to learn about your entire career. Thank you. I appreciate you all having me on. Thanks. So I, I might should also... have met you 12 years ago. I was at the it's opening. Awesome. Yeah. Stacy was at the opening night party. So yeah. I was there too. Yeah, See, with a couple hundred go. people, yeah. So we might have crossed paths 12 years ago. <laughs> exactly. And Kit, I have to say, Kit is also the one that got me started in Beachbody. So all of my all of my Ooh. sweaty selfies is because of Kit. Thanks. I yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Every morning on Instagram, the first thing I see is Cindy's sweaty face. Yeah, Stacey. <laughs> I, I posted yesterday's just for you, Twin. I know. Uh, I almost commented. <laughs> so to get started, how did you get started in theater? What led you eventually yeah. to where you are now? Oh my gosh. So when I was like, I, re I remember the moment so clearly when I was in eighth grade, I had to do a project for my English class. And um, we were like put in these little groups and, and we pretended we, we acted out a scene. And in the scene, I like my character passed out. And I had so much fun doing this that I, my, my English teacher was like, you seem to have had a really good time. You should, you know, look at drama when you go to high school. Um, and so I did. And so I, I started, you know, performing when I was in high school and it was very much fun. I moved to, um, moved on to college and I went to a small liberal arts school in Florida where we did everything right like it was part of our responsibility to do everything and and as we were learning um actually the one thing we didn't have a deep program in was management it was like theater management mm -hmm. yeah um, but but I stage managed and acted and built the shows and did all that in high school and um after after I'm sorry in college and then after college um, I didn't know what to do, right? It's like, what do you do now? Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I lived in Florida. I didn't have a car. Um, I had worked at Summerstock throughout my whole college career, you know, uh, Georgia Shakespeare Festival at an outdoor drama in North Carolina. Um, and, uh, and a friend of mine who I met at one of those jobs called and said, somebody I know is going on tour and she has a room that she would like to sublet in New York. And if you come up here, I'll loan you the money for the first month's rent. And um, I think you need to be in New York if you want to do theater. So I was like, well, okay, sure, I'll do that. So um, that his name is Brandon Wardell and I still owe him. I'm, actually, I paid him back. I don't owe him money, but I technically owe him my entire career since, um, since he got me to move to New York. Um, yeah, and so that, that's how I got to the city. Um, and then I just like went to work, right? Yeah. I, I found work. Uh, my first theater job was at Playwrights Horizons. I was a um, deck carpenter for their show, um, a substitute deck carpenter for The Dead, James Joyce's The Dead. And then, um, and then a couple other shows started working as a stage manager with Theater Works USA and toured around. Um, that's where I met my husband, actually. Um, uh, we, yeah. And uh, is he a performer? He, he is. He's an actor. And we, we actually worked on Oliver Twist. That was the show that we did. And our son is named Oliver. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, I love that. That's so cute. Thank you. Um, <laughs> corny and lovely, and yeah. Um, <laughs> so I stayed for this for a couple of years um, with TheaterWorks. I did, uh, I think, three tours with them. And in the you know the gaps, I would work at playwrights as um, whether running a show or building their shows. So it was really hands-on production stuff is how I is how I got started. And um, and then continuing to stage manage on the side. And I think I was about 20, 26, um, just, just about to get married, you know, thinking about like, what's, what is next? And uh, oh, I did props, I did, you know, wardrobe, I had touched like everything I could in, in production, and loved it all. Um, but was kind of like looking for what's the next step? How do I come up with a a career instead of just job to job to job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working at the vineyard and was really inspired by the work that company managers did and the fact that they really were connecting with the artists and connecting with the theater and conceivably had some impact on um, season planning or like choosing the art that the theaters were going to create. I, I didn't at that point know the depth of their involvement or lack of their involvement, but I, I, <laughs> I thought that, um, you know, they were, they were a big part of it. And so I started to steer my path that way and got a great job at um, Joey Parnes and, and Liz McCann's office. That's when I started working there. So Equus was, two, what, what was it, 2008? Yeah, right? 2008. Yeah, so I started working with their office in 2006 on well, um, the Lisa Crone play, that was my first show with them, assistant company manager, and then um, just kind of kept going, um, working with their office, and uh, it was a total ride. Um, I mean, you know, Equus was an an incredible experience, Passing Strange was an awesome, awesome experience, one of my favorite theatrical experiences, um, and then um, my big, I think, where I really felt like I started to really learn how to be a company manager really deeply was on hair. Um, when we did the revival of hair, that experience was incredible. And then they let me go on tour with it. That's when I got my um, uh, first you know, union contract with Atpam, um, came back from the hair tour and did a couple other things. Um, uh, Liz and Joey had gone, had started two different companies at that point. So I, um, Joey was managing hair. So I, I was working with him and then he, you know, we had a number of other shows and then I got my first real, um, company manager title, which was Vanya, Sonia, Masha and Spike. Um, and that was such an amazing experience. I was pregnant with my son at the time I was doing my first company, full, you know, company manager job won the Tony award. I was like in absolute heaven. Um, went and had a baby, um, came back. And, and that's kind of when things started to shift a little bit for me, really. Um, we were, you know, I was now myself, my husband, my son were living in a really small apartment in Brooklyn, like you do. Um, and it was like, this is not, um, sustainable, right? It's okay as he's a baby, but we're in a small one bedroom apartment that we're spending, you know, over $2,000 a month on. Um, And that was a number of years ago. So God, I can imagine what we would be paying now. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it just wasn't, it was, I, I really wanted to keep working in theater. I really wanted to keep doing theater that made me feel good and, and that I was passionate about and that could change change the world, which I had been really lucky, I think, in working with producers like Liz and Joey. They really believe that that the quality of the show is the most important thing, not necessarily the money that the show will make. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah. And and that's it's kind of rare for um commercial producers, not and that's not to criticize any of them. It's just a different model, right? That's what commercial um, is. Yeah. As you exactly. want to make money. Yeah, yeah exactly. Money. They need to pay back their investors. That's their their company goal. Um, whereas like nonprofit theater, regional theater can really focus on the art making. And so I was excited to um, see what else existed out there. And I talked to Joey at one point and was like, I don't know what I'm, what I'm, what I'm supposed to do next. I've been thinking that I need to get out of the city, that I want to find a place to live elsewhere, but I've never worked in regional theater. Like, what do I do? 
And he said, you should go be an associate managing director somewhere and then work your way up. He said, find a, you know, find a theater that you want to work at and um, work your way up. And uh, so I did. So I just uh, happened. I mean, it was like total happenstance. My sister-in-law, who my, my husband's family is from Connecticut. She said, um, she was saying, you should, there's so many theaters here. You all should move to Connecticut. You should find a way to get a job at a theater here. And, you know, like that week, I was like, I wonder if there are any theater jobs open in Connecticut. Looked up um, on Art Search, and there this position at Long Wharf was, the associate managing director job. So like fell on um, your lap. You're like, and we're done. Exactly. <laughs> well, and it was like a big stress. Like, do we actually do this? Do we leave? I mean, Brooklyn, we love, I loved living in Brooklyn. I loved working at the Parnes office. Like, you know, Joey, Sue, John, my, my coworkers, Jillian and Jesse, like they were amazing people. I loved working with them. Um, I had just started to um, co-produce the, the, uh, or be the line producer on the drama desk awards. I'd done like three years of that and was loving that work. Um, but the lifestyle was really hard, right? It was yeah. really hard. You know, it's a 45 minute commute both ways. Um, I had a kid. I wanted to see him and I was like never seeing him. Um, <laughs> How and we, with this kid? <laughs> right, who is he? Um, and we slept in like the living room of our house, right? We, we called it our bitchin'. It was our bedroom, <laughs> living room, kitchen room. Um, That's a great thing. So, yeah. So it was, yeah. So yeah, then, so that I was lucky, got the job, got the yeah. job, moved here, have been here ever since. And I love the pictures that you actually have like a little yard and you could do plants and all yeah. these awesome things. And I was like, oh, I really want that right now. <laughs> yes, it was, um, it, I have been jonesing for it. I would like garden on the fire escape, you know, in New York. And, like, <laughs> That's literally what I'm thinking right now. I was like, I can get two potted plants over here. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to pretend like I don't a lot of the times miss being in that city vibe. Like I, I, there are things that you get in New York and Brooklyn. You just can't, they, they don't exist in Connecticut. They just don't like, there's a couple good coffee places in New Haven, but like I would walk by four good coffee places on my way to the subway. Right. And then four more on my way from the subway to work. So right. it was like, like little things, um, like luxuries, little city life luxuries. Um, I actually miss it. When I, when I go somewhere else is um the falafel carts on the corner. Oh, <laughs> and yes. that's just a weird thing until like I go somewhere and I'm like, oh my God, I just want a $5 falafel. That's all I want. That's <laughs> so true, actually. Things. You complain about the bagels out here in California. It's true. It's true. I got spoiled now that I live in Brooklyn and my husband has this like favorite bagel spot that he actually went to yes, you know, this morning, you know, and it's just like everywhere else I go, I was like, well, it's not quite as good, you know. Yeah. It's so true. I want to, before we get to managing director, I don't think we've talked to any company managers. What is it that you do as a, that you did as a company manager? Like everyone knows the name company manager. We all deal with them regularly. And you even mentioned like, you didn't quite know what they did or what they didn't do. So what, what was that like? What is that experience? Yeah. So, um, company management is different depending on, I think there, there are kind of two different jobs with some crossover elements. So there's company managers at, um, institutional theaters, right? Like at, mm. like where I am now at Long Wharf and in the off-Broadway theater and kind of regional theater model. And then there, but I never did that. So then there's the company manager, um, <laughs> that, I, that I did, um, which is a little bit different. And so for a Broadway show, the company manager, um, truly takes care of like that, the acting and crew company, like the company of the show. So um, their responsibilities range from um, setting up like hiring paperwork, right? So getting contracts um, created or, or at least organized and to the actors making and stage managers and any crew. Um, sometimes depending on how the general management office works, company managers are responsible for negotiating some deals um, though that's typically a general manager responsibility. And then once you're in rehearsal, um, it's a lot of facilitating, right? You you are responsible for payroll. So running all of the payroll, making sure that they're accurate, 
Um, you pay all the bills. So making sure, you know, you are, you literally are writing the checks um, and you are responsible again, under the, the um, guidance and, and with the support of the general manager, but for managing the day-to-day budget operation of the show. Um, also, fun things like opening night parties and presents and making sure that um, company members feel taken care of and that we know that their birthdays are being celebrated and their benefits are being paid, managing insurance and workers' comp and all of these like um, kind of administrative details. I think I think of the company manager as like the connection between the company at the theater and the producers and general manager's office. Like they are the liaison that goes in between um, the, 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 those two parties. Um, and hopefully with a good company manager working with a good GM and a good producer, they all, everybody feels like they're on the same team. Um, it's, a, it's a very fun job. You, you are at every show. You're also responsible for um, house seats and setting up um, discount codes and that kind of, of work with the box office. You have a really close relationship with the house manager and the box office. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, there's more, but it's a that's, little bit of everything. Yeah, that's very different than a lot of what I thought it did. Like I had no idea that, and then like you said, maybe it's because it's Broadway versus regional, but I had no idea that it was stuff like paying the bills and yeah. Company yeah. managers so to me did the like make sure the actors are happy and make sure right. that you know they had their signed contract and opening night party, but I never thought of them as paying bills or managing the budget. So you're you're hitting on exactly the difference between regional and what I have found the differences between a regional company manager like our company manager at Long Wharf is um, their primary responsibility is is caretaking, right? And, mm-hmm. and I mean that in, in all the best ways. Um, they they are they make sure the actors know where they need to come when they come. They make sure their travel, their housing. So all of those things are also a part of a, a company manager on Broadway. Um, but in in a regional theater, I think because there's so much change, right? Every we we run a show for four weeks and then we run another show. Um, right. So we're, the company manager is constantly responsible for doing that same information for new people. Um, so their workload, I can't imagine if they also had to pay the bills for right. an institution, right? Because a regional theater is also a massive institution. I was paying maybe a hundred, maybe a hundred checks a week when I was working on Broadway, like at most. Um, here at Long Wharf, you know, it's a significantly yeah. different number of checks um, each week, just because we have to pay utility bills. You know, it's things that are not expenses that a, that a production company has to pay. It's a, it's very interesting to pay attention, to notice the details between the models. If you're a, like a nerd about administration and no, that's that's totally what I would do too. That's I that's kind of why I love doing all these because I freelance to go from company to company. It's so interesting to be like, oh, that's what you do at this company, you know, and like no two companies are the same, even exactly. even titles, you know, like San Diego Opera has um I'm gonna mess it up. Like as as opposed to a director of production, it's like a production director or something like that, you know, and so it, it's just so different to see the differences between it. So with Broadway, do you also did you also have to take care of housing and travel stuff because I know quite a few of us actually lived in New York but I'll, there was a couple that I mean besides Dan and Richard right I well, guess so the like director they, they're and, a great example so in in on Broadway I would say your housing is a lot less typically the only housing you're working on coordinating is for like stars who come in and out of in from out of town so for Daniel and Richard you know when when they first arrived, it was finding temporary housing for like um, any kind of press venue that they came into. So that was just finding oh, the right hotel. But then after they were there, when they arrived fully, um, it was finding where are they going to stay for this period of time. So there are plenty of um, really fabulous, New York's, you know, made for this, right? Right. So there's plenty of like really fabulous corporate apartments and corporate um, housing opportunities. But yeah, that, that was the for, for the way that my office worked, that was part of the company manager responsibility. So I, um, you know, I made sure that we had those leases worked out um, with the support of my company manager for Daniel and Richard. And then um, 
we made sure the place was like set up, you know, that there was tea and milk and coffee and stuff there when they arrived. So like that typical kind of caretaking that you think of mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know, figure out what, you know, the people like and make sure it's there. Um, so they feel like welcome and at home as much as possible. But that is a difference between regional and um, New York. You don't spend as much time doing that type of work, right? Because folks are primarily at home. They're at home. So they just yeah. take care of themselves. Yeah. Did you also have well, to do all of the like, transportation, all the cars every day that, that pick them up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you typically uh, work with the stage managers in some um, capacity, but you know, the company manager does the initial setup. And then once you're in the run of the show, stage management takes a bit of that over. But like you remember like Spasse and everything, like we would yes. make sure that they that they always knew where Danny was and, you know, where their driver was. Um, and uh, yeah, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, I was wondering how much he actually took care of. He probably took care of more of the like day to day, minute by minute of like, you know, wait, the car has to wait 30 more minutes or, you know, we're exactly. going to circle the block t- two more times until we can come outside stuff like that that's so awesome and also sounds like um, a headache with new york traffic trying to get a car somewhere at an appropriate time to pick up somebody well and especially outside the theater there was always so many people waiting that was trying to get the cars in were sometimes sometimes fun i'm sure um and then we would circle the block and just come back to go to the bar half the time across the street or to get dinner so we just keep circling until we could get out of the car (laughs) fun times (laughs) so then when you why associate managing director what to you was kind of the why was that the next step yeah that's a great question so there there isn't um I think the the role of general manager at a regional theater, you know, when I looking back now, now that I have these few years of experience here, mm-hmm. um, there's probably more of a core, but not probably, there's definitely more of a correlation between the work I was doing in New York and what a general manager of a theater um, company typically does, meaning mm-hmm. they are handling more of the day-to-day contracts with the actors, right? It's much more involved with the production. Um, but I was taking the lead from my mentor, right? Joey was like, this is what you're supposed to do. So I was yeah. like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I did some reading. I, I had worked with the, with long work in a small capacity. When I first came back from um, my maternity leave, I, I uh, company managed the production Satchmo at the Waldorf, which was co-produced by long Wharf and uh, another theater company. And so I had sort of worked in a, in a, minimum way with the artistic director and managing director of Longworth on that production. So I already knew who they were, right? I had, I had heard them in meetings. I knew that there was, you know, they, they and Joey had worked very closely together and he, he was, um, he said, these are, you know, these are good people. Like, like working with Josh would be good um, for you. And and it was close, right? New Haven mm-hmm. was so close. So uh, reading about the job, they, it was a person who was responsible for the finances of the theater. I had a lot. That's something else um, you do, or, or at least in the way that Joey ran his office, the company managers were really deeply um, integrated in the process with the accountants every week. So we paid the bills, and then we would work with the accountant to confirm um, what our profit and loss statements looked like to run audit at the you know end of each show and every every year for workman's comp. So we had done a lot of the elements that were a part of this job. Um, and uh, I wanted I was I like doing new things, right? Mm-hmm. I like I like doing new things, and um, I thought to dig into the kind of the finance portion of a theater company is something that I've, I haven't really done. I understand it really well from my experience, but I understand it from running a, you know, a $10 million Broadway production, not running a company. So let's see what the difference is. Um, and definitely not $10 million per show. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a huge like eye opener when I first saw a production budget for Long Wharf compared to a production budget for any show I had worked on um, at the Pardons office. You know, like the entire budget for the show would be like the budget for the costumes. Right. right. You're like, exactly. what happened to the rest of the zeros? Where did exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my God. I, I had a 
I just had more questions about company management. And I forgot about them later, but we might go back to them. Um, what else did you learn as associate managing director besides? Yeah. Ooh. Well, so the other so that that position um, at Long Wharf um, was set up to cover um, finances, human resources, and operations. So the physical operation of the facility. So um, these were not necessarily things that I had really done a lot of. So it was a it, there was a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, and, um, the facility that we are in is kind of crumbling, like the roof is falling apart. And um, so there's a lot of maintenance work that um, that I worked with my operations manager to really learn about. Um, had really a great team. I was lucky to come into like some really good supportive people. Um, and I would say the biggest um, experience that was an unplanned experience that I had <laughs> at Long Work um, was in the HR field. So in the, during the period of time that I was the associate managing director, our artistic director um, had a pretty, some pretty serious allegations um, raised against right. him in the New York Times article. And so he was, um, he was let go um, immediately upon that article coming out. And so being um, responsible for human resources in the period of of that fallout and just the you know the emotional weight that um, that that type of an experience has on a staff, mm-hmm. um, I, I really learned a lot. I learned a lot about um, processes like policies and procedures that that organizations need to have in place. I, I learned a lot about the difference between having like things set up legally and correct and the difference between having something set up that your employees actually feel comfortable doing, right? And so that was something that I- I, Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, made. Like it's really easy to be compliant legally and and Long Wharf was, you know, like we had a massive review and they said the officially everything was handled in a compliant manner, like it was legally compliant. Um, But it's the the, the human part of it. Yeah, that's so interesting. The staff didn't, they didn't, they didn't trust it. They didn't, the culture was not created to let people feel like they could um, tell the truth, tell their truth, share out their concerns and their worries. And so that was a big um, learning for, for me is that, that every organization can do better, making sure their staff doesn't feel afraid, right? And making sure you're really setting up a culture of like transparency and openness. Um, so, Yeah. That's so wonderful that I don't think anybody's ever put it to words that like actually made sense to me, but there's been a number of companies where they're like, well, this is, it's, we're following all the rules. This is exactly what, you know, all of our bylaws say, this is what all the rules are. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not actually how things are working. You know, like you say you're an open company, you say that we can go to you with problems, but then when you do nothing happens. So I don't understand, you know, where these come from. So that's such a perfect example. Or everything's yeah. written so legally that nobody can actually understand what they're signing in the contract because there's so much legal jargon. I was like, yeah, I guess. I don't really know what it's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, I mean, I, uh, one of the, one of the, the things that I brought, I did at the theater was with every employee that we would hire, I would sit down with them and, you know, review our handbook and not just give them our handbook with a piece of paper to sign, but actually go through the handbook. And it was long and boring. And I'm sure that if you talk to any of those employees, they would be like, uh, Kit talked for like 45 minutes straight. Um, but, <laughs> but it was really intentional to um, kind of uh, share the information in a way that let folks know that I, I was really here to help them understand it. To your, to your point, like to yeah. not that they could then, if you have any questions about this, I bet, please come to me. Um, I am here to be here for you. Um, and creating that like openness, honestly allowed, uh, it, it's allowed the organization, I think, um, to feel more comfortable with each other, right? To trust each other in some ways, mm-hmm. to trust that the theater wants to set itself up to take care of the employees. And so- mm-hmm not being in that role now is it's it's a little trickier now so I'm trying to figure out how do I make sure that now that I have to sit in like the chair of ultimate decision maker right like how do I ensure that folks still know that I'm considering each one of them in the same way Mm -hmm. right from Mm -hmm. the future 
um, very interesting. That is very interesting. That's one thing that I, I loved about Portland Opera is that every opera company, well, every company I'm sure now has a like sexual harassment and harassment policy or a workplace. Um, what do they call it? Workplace. Yeah. Maybe? yeah. Yeah. And they, everybody makes you sign stuff and they just give you pamphlets. But at Portland Opera, they actually sat you down for three hours and had like videos and stuff and, and somebody that will actually talk to you through it and talk to you about, you know, who, who you go to and what the protocols are. And it was so much better. And I felt so much more comfortable because now I actually had like a name to put to things. And like, I could ask questions as opposed to just giving a 50 page packet that I sign. Yeah, you know, and you great. may or may not read, but you can actually like have that conversation. Yeah, that's, that's great. I wish every company would do that. So every book, yeah. every company listening to this, follow Kit's lead and actually <laughs> sit down and talk to people. Yeah, because it was just a contractor for that job. She wasn't even going to be there that long. And they still took the time to do a three hour session for a couple week job. So yeah, right. that's admirable, yeah. truly. Like that's admirable. It's a great, it's a great way to set people up to feel comfortable, right? And, and to know why they're there. We have a, a wonderful artistic producer. Um, her name is Hope Chavez. And she, she works with the company on the first day and does a really great um, introduction and, and reminder. Um, you know, everyone gets the written policy, but she does like this really great reminder to everyone of, of our intention is to create a safe space is to encourage um, is to encourage people to feel brave and and safe in their space and to, um, yeah one of our one of the challenges or one of one of what the steps that Longworth is is trying to take is to become a really inclusive theater company where you know all folks feel welcome and and safe and that they can really step into themselves and be themselves in our theater. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the work that we do, I mean, that that really helps, um, you know, that that our work with harassment and like dealing with it face on helps in that. Um, it's only one of many elements that um, we are challenged by in the theater these days. Right? <laughs> or we're actually facing for the first time in theater, which has always been a problem. Exactly. We've just been ignoring it. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. So then you were you were there as the associate managing director for what two two and a half years? Yeah, two um, and a half years. Yeah. And then moved up to managing director. So what was that change? What is it that's different in the two positions? Yeah, that's a great question. So <laughs> a um, title. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that's different is just the the who who you are. Um, I, I'll call it like the burden of responsibility, right? Like there is, um, um, so the, our company structure is that we have our board of trustees um, mm -hmm. and then there is, we have two executives. So we have the managing director and the artistic director. And that is, and, and that's where the rest of the organization like flows. So we try really hard to kind of smash hierarchy wherever we can, but by the nature of an organization, um, set up like we are, someone bears the burden of responsibility. And right. Currently, it is Jacob and I. Um, and so that's one thing is that basically, like the buck stops. I there is there's nobody to be like. Well, if if they had only listened to what I had said, then it would. It, we could have done it better. It's like nope. I, I said it was okay for that to happen, and so. Um, and so that's challenging. And um, I openly, you know, when, when I walked into um, the position, I, you know, luckily I had been with the theater for a couple of years. So I knew the, the situation I was walking into. I knew the challenges the company had and, um, and was excited about the people I had to work with. Um, but Long Wharf is, as most theaters are, you know, we're struggling to, um, to rebuild an audience, maintain our audience and grow it so that mm -hmm. um, you know, every, every year it costs us more. There's only so much more money you can expect people to pay to come see your art, right? So figuring out how to, how to close that gap between making sure you're paying people an equitable salary and also um, not being completely a, a deficit change, which is what most organizations are and Longworth is one of those. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, I would say having to look out for the whole company 
really, instead of just being a manager, needing to be a leader. That's the other thing that I am learning um, and trying to um, continue to learn every day, how to not just um, help people do the thing that needs to get done, but how to also inspire them, how to, um, you know, keep, uh, just keep, just lead the company with my, with my, my partner, um, Jacob. That, that is, that's new for me. Was there a moment that you can kind of pinpoint where all of a sudden you're like, oh, I have to make this decision. There is nobody else here to make this decision. Um, yes. So we, I mean, we just, went through it right um when mm, yeah when we had when we had to cancel our production of the chinese lady um i mean that that was an, that decision unfortunately was not hard because we had no choice right the government yeah. said you yeah. are yeah you're going to close um but after that right the next decision was how do we what do we do with our staff right we just lost two shows our last two shows of revenue um, you know, we've just with our gala lost potentially $750,000 in revenue. How do we, um, how do I, what do I do? What do we do um, about our staffing? Like, can we keep them all on? And we had to make the really hard and like really um, painful decision to, to furlough some positions, to, um, to end some contracts early, um, or, or not contracts is not the right word, but um, like some some um, in terms of employment, right? We had some people who were employed, were planning to be with us till the end of our season. Um, and so we had to shorten right. their, their work with us. And it, it was like zero fun, but there, but it is, that's the burden of responsibility, right? That's why yeah. we had to think we ultimately, and this was a Joey Parnes lesson, the what our job is, is to make sure we're taking care of the company as a whole. And if you're always taking care of the company, if you're putting the company first, um, meaning, and when I say the company, I mean putting Longworth Theater as an institution, the organization, and that does include the people, right? Um, mm -hmm. So if you're putting that first, then then even the hard decisions you're making, you're making for um, the good of the right thing, which is the longevity of the of the company, so that mm -hmm. we can come back really strong and and. Um, and hopefully bring everybody back who we had to let who we had to um, let go. Mm -hmm. So that would be a really uh, vivid example of having to make a really shitty decision um, and not really, you know, there's no one else to make it. Yeah, and that's also like what six months after you became managing director. Yeah, you're like fun Welcome to the position. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's been, it has been an, uh, an interesting introduction. I would say I feel like um, the entire my entire period of, of time in this role has been operating at, at almost crisis level. Before this, we were working on um, kind of restructuring the operating model for the company because it had been um, it's been losing money for a number of years. Um, mm -hmm. And so we, it was clear that we needed to make some changes. Um, and so we had been spending a lot of time really thinking about, is there a different way we can set ourselves up? Are there expenses we can cut? Are there, is there a different structure, a different revenue model? Like what are the, and so we had been doing that big work and, and had just started to like raise money to help us get through this, to, to help support these big changes that we were going to be making. Um, and so having to pause that work to shift gears into this work, um, it's been a, it's been a, um, a complex six to eight months. And <laughs> now, um, now, you know, now we see what's next, you know, the yeah. fun is not over, um, as we all know. It's that interesting thing I've seen on Facebook a few times, which I, I feel is so true, where they're like, did anybody else feel like you were just starting to get your life together when this got thrown at you? Oh, and I so feel like funny. there's there's so there's a number of companies that I work with that that's exactly the case. One company, we just had a meeting this morning, has been restructuring and got a new general director. And, you know, for the first time in years, we actually were shrinking our deficit and paying off old bills and, you yeah. know, and we we're we literally had a meeting the week before being like, we're this close to like coming to zero. We've done all these great things. And then all of a sudden we had to cancel our last show, you know, yeah, and another company where we, we got this huge thing thrown at us in January. We only produced during the summer and we spent 
six weeks, like fighting and doing all this research and like finding a new home, finding new rehearsal spaces, like doing all of this work. And right when we were about to announce that, like, we got all of our stuff together, the shutdown happened. And we're like, but we just, we just kind of got it fixed, you know? And so I feel like long war the same, like. Absolutely. We are, that's the way it is. I will say one of the things that um, I kind of uh, appreciate is a hard word, but that I think is, is really interesting about this moment is that it has really um, kind of flattened the, the, um, that there's no, we are all in the same boat, right? Right. Um, We are all, and now we are all sharing openly about the boat that we are in. We are sharing information on how we're going to get through it. We're sharing oars and life jackets and <laughs> yeah, like really yeah. like a- admitting the the hard truths that we had before I've been on a call with um, multiple um, other Connecticut theaters who you know they were experiencing their version of the challenges that Longworth was experiencing before this and so now we're all sort of um I don't know um balanced in some way which is great because now it's like let's let's be partners in how we get out of this like if arts, if the arts industry, the our various institutions, our artists, if all of us recognize like how interconnected each one of us is and how each one of our success um, depends on the other success, right? And our mm-hmm. failure is tied to others' failure. So let's like, like get through this together. This is an opportunity to, I think that we can learn from each other and get through this, building something more exciting and more vibrant and and more sustainable, which is what I think many institutions were starting to feel is that, oh my gosh, is this sustainable, what we're doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I know that was a topic of conversation in the theaters I've worked with. Yeah, we can't charge a ton more for prices, but the cost of wood goes up and the cost of fabric goes up and the cost for actors go up and the cost for just the rights to do a show go up, but you can't mm-hmm. always put that back on, you know, ticket holders but then you got to raise more money and if you're raising more money then they're like why am i paying high ticket prices and trying to get everything to balance exactly yeah yeah so figuring out what's the what is the shift in that model that we can make um and and i think we're all we're all doing this work now so like it'd be great if we all just did it together and then we can learn from each other and um um yeah i think it will save the american theater do you find that you're connecting more with especially the Connecticut theaters that you didn't really talk to before? I will say that the there is a really strong network in Connecticut. Like they they were strong before this. Um, and I I we are there are we will be strong after it, I I believe. There's a, a group of the the larger kind of professional theaters that folks think of when they first think of Connecticut theaters, meaning like Longworth, Goodspeed Opera House, Yale Rep, Hartford Stage, Westport, like these are like the big, and the Eugene O'Neill um, Theater Center. So that group has always had a really great um, kind of executive and artistic leadership circle that um, work together. And I will say though, one of the great things out of this is that some of the smaller companies are being pulled into our into this circle so that there's not um, as much um, I don't know, division, right? We yeah. are all, we're, we, we're suffering in different levels, but we're all suffering in the same way. So right. um, but that's been really great to really make connection with connections with organizations who weren't a part of that because they have just as much to share and to teach us as, um, as, as we have to teach each other, right? So yeah. I hope that's, to see that. Kind of- yeah, that's one thing that I've noticed through these past like six or seven weeks is in the beginning, it was very much every company was kind of in the scramble. Like, what do we do now? This was forced upon us. What do we do with our employers? How do we cancel the season? And now I feel like that has kind of calmed down and now it has become so much more of a community thing. Now, you know, those decisions were made and now let's reach out to each other and like figure out how to move forward. And it's been so interesting to see that progression and to figure yeah. and try to see like where it's going to go next. Like, what are we going to do next? And how is it going to be even better coming out of it? And, you know, I feel like people are no longer necessarily scared. Like we're, we're nervous, so. but. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I, I still feel like there's a surprising amount. Well, not surprising, actually. It's not surprising at all. There's, there's, um, there's fear around. It still feels unknown, but like you said, your husband went and got a bagel 
um, this like went to the bagel shop. Like that doesn't happen yet. Um, that's not happening so much here. Yeah. Folks really going to pick up food and um, and there's still a little bit of fear. It's starting to, and I expect over the next um, um, month or so that will that will start to happen more. But until we are comfortable, like going to sit at a restaurant again, yeah, who's going to be comfortable going to sit in the theater? Right. Um, so we That's... really we have a, I think we have a long road ahead of us um, yeah. as an industry, and so I think it, accepting that being willing to be like flexible and, and creative and, um, and to innovate new ways of building connection with audience. It's going to be the only way we get through, um, which is why, yeah, to your, like, as you were saying, like share more connection, more partnership. Um, that's how we do it. Yeah. And one of the that's things, about, right? Yeah. One of the things, uh, because I work on red carpets and stuff now is everyone's trying to figure out how do we get people back together and what are we going to have to do? Are we going to have to give everyone hand sanitizer when they first come in? Are we passing out masks? Are we closing every other seat? Are we limiting who can come and who can go and who can touch things and who has to wear what? And and that's going to affect everybody because... Yeah, you can't really go to a theater and close every fifth seat or every other seat. Like that's gonna, that's gonna be a headache. Talk about a broken financial model. I mean, that would never. It just would never work. You think about like theaters struggle right now when even when they're sold well, right? Even mm-hmm. when you have a, have a person in like eighty percent of your house, that's still a struggle. We were just doing an assessment in like our first attempt at what if we. What if everybody came as a couple, like there were two people sitting next to each other, but then you'd put appropriate social distancing measures around them, which is right, six feet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so our 400 seat theater goes down to 98 people. Wow. Um, so that's, I mean, like, we, that's unsustainable. Um, right. And, that, and so we really all have to, yeah, that's like, how do you, how do you run a red carpet? I mean, you you have masks for everybody when they show up that are like bejeweled or logoed with the appropriate <laughs> event. I mean, what do you, and like really, and then I love the idea of like a, ha- a hand sanitizer pump person. Um, Every time they get I, out of the car, you just give them hand yeah, sanitizer. Yeah. But even like um, backstage, costume dressers are dressing people like, yeah. and I can't have think actors about, on like, stage singing into a singing. microphone. Yeah, yes, yes. You think about like the um, like French horn players and tuba <laughs> players in a in a like. I was talking to the executive director of New Haven Symphony, and she said that that you know they that part of the stage is like sopping wet at the yes. end of the performance. Which always makes um, it disgusting like, to me. What but... do they do? Yeah, because then somebody has to mop it up, and then those people are touching things, and yeah, yep. yeah. We just get rid of all horn players. Sorry, yeah. guys. Love you. <laughs> you put them in individual cells underneath right. the stage. <laughs> they get all their own little pads. We just move plastic to... around them. Plastic underneath them. Yeah. We just spray yeah. them down with sanitizer before and after a concert. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. It is interesting times, but I mean, I'm just so happy to know that so many people are willing to like fight the fight and you know continue forward and be like, well, this sucks. So what are we going to do now to make it better? Exactly. Yep. And maybe this is the time, like you said, you guys were struggling, we were struggling, you know, this is the time actually to be like, well, we are forced in this position. So let's find a new model. Yeah, let's learn from, let's take the moment. Um, there's like a, um, you know, it's like if you if we think of it as an opportunity instead of as a crisis, I mean, yeah. it's both, but if we can think of the opportunity in it, then, then, then maybe we can as an industry really transform, transform and, you know, do what happened at the birth of the regional theater movement when this was revolutionary. So now how can we be revolutionary right now and create mm-hmm. the, you know, the regional theater or um, arts, you know, opera movement for the 21st century? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. I like it. Do it. Awesome. I want to go back back unless Stacy has any questions because I'm actually really curious about this other one <laughs> coming back to company management what you were talking about the difference between regional theater and mm. uh Broadway what was it like doing company management on tour oh that's a whole no okay 
Um, so on tour, you also are like a travel maven, right? So, um, <laughs> I like the word maven. <laughs> so, so you do all the same things that you do um, in New York, but you do them in a different venue every week or more or, you know, every month, depending on your tour. Um, so uh, I would say my, I have never worked as hard as when I was the assistant company manager on the hair tour. I have never worked as hard for 18 <laughs> months. Because you, and it's fun, there are moments when it's like, wait, I'm traveling all over the country. Like, this is incredible. Why am I so tired all the time? Um, right. But I, I was, you know, it's a 9 to 11, 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. job. Um, and, and maybe that's just the way I, I did it. But um, I'd say your responsibilities go from the same thing, right? Your bill paying, your benefit remittal, payroll processing, all of that. to also making sure that you have flights and buses and, um, you know, so your, your air transportation, then your ground transportation from the airport to the hotel, then however you are um, getting your actors from the hotel to the theater, um, if you're lucky, you're at a theater that's in walking distance from the hotel. Most of the time you're not, or at least some of the time you're not. So are you doing a shuttle every day? Are you giving rental cars for everybody to share? Then you're coordinating and setting all that up. Plus the hotels, every, every person gets a hotel room. So coordinating the housing signups for each hotel. Um, this has evolved now because we are in, the, in a much more digital age than when I was on tour with hair, but we would give everybody a paper city sheet for every city that we would go to. So there would be contact information, theater information, mailing address information, um, how to get, you know, what the prices were for house seats. Um, mm -hmm. And then like local thing, like where's the closest doctor? Who do you, you know, who do you contact if you lose a tooth? Um, you know, like, where do you get a massage? Um, and, and then food. I mean, like, so just setting up these city sheets to let folks know um, easy resources when they first walk into a new city. Um, and then you, you're living and traveling with the company. So right. um, that's awesome. Like, you build relationships in a really deep and profound way. Um, on tour. And I, though I worked harder during that 18 months than ever in my life, I would, um, I would trade it. I would do it again. Um, it was, uh, it was an incredible experience. Like I encourage anybody who can to tour. Like it is a, a one of the deepest learning experiences I ever had. Um, you spend a lot of time with yourself too. And so that lets you learn a lot too. <laughs> Right. <laughs> How much of that do you do in advance? Like, could you prep almost all of the city sheets in advance and a lot of the housing stuff in advance or? Yeah. So how, so you usually work with somebody who's helping to coordinate your housing, but you have to, um, there, uh, you have to give people appropriate, like you can't require an actor to book their housing, um, to choose their hotel too far in advance because, um, they might want to say, you can, you can tell them to do it. But and they can, but that doesn't prevent them from changing their plans. So any change in plans is another um, uh, bit of work, right? Another yeah. reach out to the hotel or reach out to your housing coordinator, um, keeping track of those rooming lists. That and they would they would fluctuate and change. Somebody's mom's coming into town; they're flying to meet them. Is there any way I can get a hotel at that room rate? You know, it's like mm. it's just a deal. So yeah. The city sheets, you could do the majority of that work well in advance. Um, and uh, and that was something that, um, well, they've learned. I mean, now there are digital city sheets and it's shared across companies. It's a, a whole different world um, now. I think I think probably easier, I hope, God, I hope, um, for, for company managers now. Yeah, that's so cool. It was fun. I... It was fun. 
when you said, you know, you work nine to 11, but then you're living with them, the experience I have during the summer when I kind of do company management stuff and living with them, that means, you know, at one o'clock in the morning, I'm getting a knock on the door saying their toilet's backed up. And yeah. I'm like, we were doing a podcast once what? and she's like, I got to go find a plunger. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but it is like 24 seven because you're literally there with them. And yeah, because you are yeah. their contact, if something goes wrong, they like come to you and you're like, yeah. Somebody was like, I need a blender. And I was like, well, thankfully I have one here. Take this blender. <laughs> you know, like, what else are you going to do? But it is the most, for me, rewarding experience because you get to know all those people so well yeah. and it just becomes a family. And so doing that for 18 months just kind of sounds yeah. scary, but at the same time, like, so amazing Absolutely. and so much fun. Absolutely. Kind of sad I, I never say, toured. What? Kind of sad You've I never, never toured. I know. You should. It's, it's so much yeah. fun. Um, to talk about hair, our dad made us watch it when we were younger, and it's probably one of our favorites. Uh, we watched the movie, of course, which is different than the than the play, um, but it's one of the CDs that Stacy and I just like listen to all the time. We could recite yep. every single word Memorized. and every single line of it. And so when you guys announced that you were producing it on Broadway, which was around the time that Equus was up, right? I think it was like yeah, when yeah, it, when I think it, it kind of started. Right. Yeah, it was like Equus was maybe the show I did right before hair like yeah it was really it was really close to that to that yeah and I remember our dad still talks about he never goes to theater but you know back when it first came out years and years ago that was one show that he went to and he still talks about it to this day of like awesome. going to see hair and what happened with it and yes did you guys go Stacey when it was on tour did you go see it I saw it when it was at the Seegerstrom uh in Orange County and then I, I was there. Nice, nice. So I saw that one. Uh, my mom and my brother were with me. Uh, Dad did not go. And then I did it a couple months ago at the Long Beach Playhouse. Awesome. Awesome. So now your path has crossed twice with Kit, and you didn't even know it. I know. So exciting. You never know how that's going to happen. Who knows? It might happen again. That's true. We all, you know, we produce shows here all the time. They always have stage managers. See, I know. Well, I've, I've looked at it a little bit. Every now and then you guys have an opening. I think you sent me one a little bit ago. And I was like, oh, this is so tempting. Because like you, I'm like, I kind of want to get out of the city. I want like a house and more of a like, I actually do really enjoy working at like a steady job where I'm not freelancing and going all over the place. Because then you get to like make bigger changes, be more involved as opposed to like six week contracts here and there. Um, I just haven't been able to convince my husband yet. But totally. It, it might happen at some point because like you said New Haven's so close that it would be easy to like jump back and forth you just exactly. take Metro North down and you're you're there right in the middle of it so yep, yep. less than two hours Twin, that's, that's within his, close. his radius like it, it yeah. is within that's the radius <laughs> it, would, it would totally work when I drive past New Haven on my way up to Boston I'm always like I need to stop and see Kit like I'm driving right past this and I never oh, I do it. So next time on our way to Boston, I'll let you know. And we'll stop coffee that somewhere. That would be great. That would be great. She does know yeah. the best coffee spots good. around. So you should That's be true. Careful. I am a, I am a coffee snob. I do not like, I mean, I will take you to one of the four. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Yeah, I know all four of them in New Haven. <laughs> now that's I'm sure I'm not being fair. I'm sure there are some amazing shops I just don't know about. So I'll have to do even more research. <laughs> Now I have like friends in New Haven. I was like, I want to get their list and you guys can compare lists of coffee shops. Oh, yes. Maybe I, I would lo I always love to learn a new good place for food or drink. <laughs> Especially coffee. Especially <laughs> coffee. I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, I think we're getting close to our hours. So we, yep. um, right, Stacey sends me little text messages about where we are because I don't pay attention <laughs> to that. <laughs> Which is weird. As a stage manager, you think I would, but I get so excited about talking to people. Um, you have someone to do it for you. I know, I do. Exactly. I, I take the well. notes and I set up the call and I record things. And she gets to do the rest half the time. Nice. Actually, now that I think about it, it's kind of like opposite. It is a little bit opposite of like, as a stage manager, I would do all the things that you're doing. And yet we've like switched roles during the podcast, which is kind of funny. Yeah, you never take any notes. Nope, I don't. <laughs> I just talk. Yeah. You take all the notes. <laughs> Sometimes I do the talking and take notes, and then I forget to do one or the other because I'm busy talking. That's probably why this works. <laughs> so for our last question, do you have any twin stories? Oh, right. 
Um, I was trying to think of one earlier. I don't really. I do like have vivid memory of my um, the two friends that I had when I was in um, elementary school, Matthew and Melinda Rosenberg. And they were the first twins I met, right? They were the first people and they were identical twins. And um, I guess, can you be an identical twin if you're male and female? No, they, no I guess technically no, but they looked exactly alike, right? Really? Like How they interesting. They were the male and female version of each other. Um, and uh, I, I was just, in, I was awed by the fact that they were, that they existed, right? That they existed as this <laughs> duo of, of um, DNA. And I, um, yeah, so no good twin stories other than I think it's cool. And I'm, you know, always, always was a little jealous of, of those two and their relationship. Um, right. And they were adorable and cute and like wore like tall rainbow stripes, like um, knee socks. They were just the cute. <laughs> that is excellent. I don't think we have any rainbow knee socks. Oh, time to get a pair. Two pairs. <laughs> two pairs. Two pairs. <laughs> Send one out two to pairs. Well, we could get one pair and like I'll wear one sock and you wear the other sock. Ooh, good plan. Yeah. Yeah, that might work. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I feel like I learned so much about company management and associate uh, managing director and managing director and Long Wharf Theater and all the fun stuff. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, we hope for the best for Long Wharf and all theaters. You. But Thank you guys you actually too. had a show that I wanted to come see and I never made it. You guys did um, I Am My Own Wife? Oh, true? yes. It was incredible. Yeah. our um, The actor, Mason Alexander Park, who played um, Charlotta, was they were just incredible. Um, I, it was yeah. I wanted to and I was out of town for it and I was so upset because I was one of my oh, hey, favorite something. Yeah. Am I allowed to plug something? I don't yes. know that this oh, might be yes, yes, public please. in time, but I want to plug it anyway. Um, um, wait, when will this go out? Like weeks from now? Yeah, currently we have it not going out for a month, but we could move things around. Okay. Um, well, so I'll just tell you about it then, because if it won't go out for a month, then I don't have to worry about breaking any like um, rules because I'm telling you something before it's been announced publicly. Um <laughs> <laughs> we are having we're taking our gala and moving it online right we a couple companies have been matthew doing morrison that was, um they were going to um matthew morrison was going to be our gala talent it was you know he was just going to do a concert um so we're doing instead this um shifted virtual gala where we are going to have a lot of remarkable people do one or two songs so matthew is going to be there laura Benanti, kelly o'hara norm lewis um, oh, wonderful. Stephanie Block. And I mean, there's others, but Mason Alexander Park, who was our star in I Am My Own Wife, is going to be in it as well. And we want as many people who can come to see it to come. So the tickets are only $20. Um, and it's, it's we, we um, debated, is this something to make free? Um, but we really, it's, it's our fundraising opportunity, right? right. So, um, so $20 and it's going to be amazing um so i guess amazing. i was really just telling you um the two of you <laughs> that it's happening so that um, if you're interested in checking out um you'll get to see mason and they are incredible they're a mu- musical talent that they, they you just come check it out it's easier to get to than to try to come to new haven right now anyway yeah so exactly you like pay 20 dollars and you get like a link and during a certain time you get to sign on and watch it live that's exactly right excellent that's a great idea yeah yeah okay then we'll have to follow and once you announce it then we can re-announce it awesome right then we'll release kids podcast yeah (laughs) now we know what's going on yeah and then we can share the link because i totally want to do that especially for 20 bucks like i get to listen to norm lewis and everybody sing like that just sounds amazing it's such a we are so grateful to this lineup like it's going to be an incredible Robin de Jesus and Bryce Pinkham and like it's really it's a really incredibly rich lineup of, of stars and talent that was on our stage this year. Um, so yeah. we're really happy to showcase them as well. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Yay. See, that's something that wouldn't have happened if, you know, you were just at a, your regular gala, you'd have one person. Exactly. Opportunity. 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 I love it. 
when well, thanks for sharing this? that with us. We're so we're so excited about it. Um, yeah, yeah, this was when wonderful. Is this go so when much. are you going to release this so that we have an idea of when we need to? I think the press release goes out tomorrow, today or tomorrow. So oh, the okay. press release goes out soon. Tickets go on sale on Monday, and and the gala is on the eighth. So you may th this little segment may not make it, and I understand that. But I was really just wanted to share with the two. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, so June eighth. Mm -hmm. So okay. tickets yeah, we'll put it out before May eleventh, and then the performance will be on June eighth. <laughs> so thank you so much. This is so awesome. I'm so glad we were able to get a hold of you and, and get this scheduled. Again, mm -hmm. the opportunity of this virus is a lot of people have time on their hands, so we can just schedule all of the fun people it to is talk so to. Oh, but I hope you get a ton people. of people. This is really fun. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.